Welcome to the Love and Marriage Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that offer insights on dating and marriage. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I come to you concerned and sometimes troubled. My comments this evening are directed to those of you who will dedicate an important part of your earthly life to making your eventual eternal marriage succeed. The emotion I feel is the deepest love and respect for you and the excitement for your futures as someday you will sit where we now sit and speak where we now speak and lead in areas where we have led, but in many areas where we have not yet led. There is a tendency in life, brothers and sisters, to simplify problems and complicate solutions. Many challenges, however, are very complex. But I have learned when we utilize the teachings of the Master, the solution to even the most difficult of life's challenges are usually basic. Several years ago, while visiting in Florida, I talked with Frank Shorter, a world-class marathon athlete. He won the marathon in the 1972 Olympics, placed second in 1976, has won literally hundreds of long-distance races. As we talked about his training schedule, I learned that he has dedicated a great part of his life to succeed in that impressive area of athletics. He knows exactly what foods to eat, how many miles to run each day, which incidentally is about 20, the frame of mind he needs to have if he expects to be victorious, and a number of other characteristics relating to success in his chosen field. Well, while thinking of Frank Shorter and his goals and others who have succeeded in their chosen line of work or hobby or profession, I have asked myself, why couldn't more of our husbands and wives have the same type of dedication to a successful marriage as have renowned athletes and physicians, educators and governmental leaders as they excel in their professions? Tonight I shall not address the mate selection process except to say three things. One, obedience, brothers and sisters, is the cornerstone of happiness. A boyfriend or a girlfriend that does not have a wholesome respect for regulation during the dating process will often continue to break the rules after the word yes at the altar is spoken. Seek out those that are willing to live the rules, because if not, we will spend time with you in offices in whichever ward or stake you live attempting to work out the difficulties that will surely come. Second, there are not to be sexual experiences before marriage. Temporary pleasure in the back seat of an automobile is an incredibly high price to pay for heartache, self-doubt, and guilt with always the question gnawing at one's spirit. Is it true love that I feel? 
or some sort of hormonal substitute. One of the most difficult characteristics that befall those that participate when they should not is a counterfeiting procedure begins that sometimes cannot be refined out of one's procedures. Don't let it be part of yours. Three, the realization that we better marry the person that has the built-in characteristics we desire because marriage is not a place where we will be able to change them or to fit them into the mold of whom we want. It must happen before and then grow and progress together. Brethren and sisters, I know of nothing worthwhile in life that comes easy. However, nothing in life is as valuable as a strong marriage and a secure family. I am speaking to all who want their future marriage to succeed. My comments are not for anyone looking for simple ideas or anyone who would be satisfied merely to tolerate an uncomfortable arrangement. Every strong marriage is severely tested. Husbands and wives who encounter and surmount suffering, pain, misunderstanding, and temptation can enjoy a marriage that is beautiful and eternal. There's a principle that needs to be understand and understood, and let me take just a moment to explain it to you. Many marriage experts who write articles are failures in their own marriages or who have never married. Unfortunately, many of the books on how to have a successful marriage are less than helpful to Latter-day Saints. Our marriages and families are built upon heavenly concepts and principles and not upon worldly ideas or solutions. I pray that I may be in the Spirit this evening as I communicate with you about marriage. Consider just two concepts that we have that the world does not understand. One is the principle of eternal marriage itself, where we are able to look beyond the problems of today and this evening and tomorrow into a life beyond death, where as a family we will dwell forever together. Second, the world does not understand spirituality or the fact that we can receive personal revelations that will assist us in any of the challenges that will come our way. Well, the next idea I suggest is fundamental. We must bring, brothers and sisters, the Savior and His teachings into our homes and hearts. To really succeed, your eternal marriage must be Christ-centered. Let me tell you an experience I had several years ago. I was sitting in my office. I heard a commotion out in the reception area. My secretary picked up the telephone and buzzed me. She said, there's a couple here, Elder Pinnock, that uh, uh, you have been assigned to talk with. And I could see she was very nervous, and I said, we'll have them in. A man and woman came in my office. Her face was tear-stained. He began pounding on my desk. Tell her I have the priesthood, and she's to do what I tell her to do. The first thing I said is, stop pounding on my desk. <laughs> the second thing I said is, brother, you do not have the priesthood. Oh, yes, I do. In the Kearns 27th Ward, I was given the priesthood last June or whatever it was. 
And I said, You don't have the priesthood. And turned, and behind me my scriptures lay. I took the triple combination and turned quickly to the 121st section. We could begin in a number of places, but, brothers and sisters, let's begin with the 36th verse, that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven, and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness. That they may be conferred upon us, it is true. But when we undertake to cover our sins or to gratify our pride, our vain ambition, or to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men in any degree of unrighteousness, behold, the heavens withdraw themselves, and the Spirit of the Lord is grieved. And when it is withdrawn, amen to the priesthood or the authority of that man. And at that time that good sister smiled briefly. <laughs> I said, You understand that you don't have the priesthood. He said, I didn't understand that. And then I said, Let's begin reading the 41st verse. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood or any other position or title, I might add, only by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge. And about this time their hands joined as I read the next several verses, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile. Jumping to the 45th verse, Let thy bowels also be full of charity towards all men, and to the household of faith, and let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God, and the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. Well, he was listening now, and we talked for the next few minutes about the importance of meekness and patience and love unfeigned. Well, as they walked out, they walked out arm in arm, hopefully after having learned a great lesson in life. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the priesthood that so many of us in this room bear can only be maintained and handled upon those principles. Just as a building must have a strong foundation, as does this magnificent structure, a family needs the sure foundation of the Savior and His teachings. We are a spiritual people, believing in spiritual principles that first and foremost we are to use the Spirit in solving problems and receiving revelations that will guide our feet. Obviously, this means to live righteous lives, to pray often, and to be kind one to another. Next, do not feel that an intense disagreement in your dating procedure 
or eventually in your marriage indicates that it cannot succeed. If we are to really communicate, we must be honest when we disagree. We must express hurts and let our feelings show. We can do this without becoming angry or inconsiderate. People who keep things bottled up inside are candidates for a variety of illnesses. But even more serious, that approach does not solve problems. Serious disagreements between partners does not mean the two are becoming allergic to one another or that the situation is hopeless. It merely means that they are human and that they are not yet perfect individuals. If we can just acknowledge our differences in mature ways, then we will realize that our dating procedure is okay or that our marriages eventually will be all right. Often what happens is we have simply failed to communicate. And differences can be worked out without jeopardizing a relationship. As we communicate, brothers and sisters, may I say this quickly, let us first communicate about feelings, those throbbings from within, and then we can be concerned with the historical aspects of communication, where we have been and those that we have seen. But let us communicate our feelings first. And if something just doesn't feel quite right, leaves you with kind of that uncomfortable feeling that needs to be said to your date or to your husband or wife. Third, never make your date or mate the object of jokes either in private or in public. Partners who poke fun at one another may think of it as good-natured humor. It is not. It is degrading and dangerous. To make a joke about private things a husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend does is a form of ridicule and a way of putting him or her down. Too often the laughter conceals a spirit of malice or anger that causes hurt feelings and fractures in that delicate substance we define as spirit. Couples who respect each other do not resort to such procedure. Next, both during the dating period and after marriage do not smother one another with excessive restrictions. Remember a kind and loving father, and I guess it was a hundred years ago today that we were sitting around talking about that council in heaven and all of those things that had happened thousands of years before, and we were getting ready to come here. And as we looked to Father, we could see the trust in his eyes. And we knew that we would be operational here upon the earth in a great environment of freedom. Then why do we try to take sometimes that freedom away from those we love so much? A loving wife of many years shared with me one of the secrets of her beautiful marriage. She told me it is my duty to maintain an atmosphere in our home in which my husband can reach his full potential. As you know, he's a busy businessman, a bishop and father. In turn, he helps me reach my potential. With her encouragement, he was an outstanding bishop. She later served as a counselor in two auxiliary presidencies. She had a little place in their home where she could sew and where she painted lovely paintings and wrote beautiful poetry. He felt comfortable in going fishing and lowering his golf score. 
and doing some painting himself, and growing in ways that interested him. Neither of these marriage partners was being smothered by a selfish mate. Both respected the other's needs and goals. And as we think about that eventual responsibility that you will have of raising children, keep that concept in mind. If we will give them gobs of freedom almost beyond logic sometimes, they will grow in precious ways that will give them the confidence to do what needs to be done. The most fulfilling of all marriages that I have observed seem to be those in which the husband and wife together commit their love to the Savior's keeping and to each other. They are interested in one another and yet set each other free to grow and mature, never free to flirt, but free to take on new challenges and to pursue new interests. Jealousy is a subtle form of bondage and is the most smothering of human passions. Dating couples or husband and wives who fear the loss of a partner's love weaken their relationship by holding on too tightly. A husband who thinks to himself, I won't let her out of my sight, is actually expressing a fear that might push her away. We must allow each other plenty of room for personal growth and expression. When both partners are able to develop their talents and interests, the marriage is less likely to suffer from boredom and narrowness. Fifth, compliment each other sincerely and often, just as you do or will do during the dating period. A middle-aged wife once told me, somebody has to keep my husband humble. He gets so much attention from others that he needs to be brought down a peg or two. He gets too big for his britches. How sad. Every husband needs a wife that will build him up. Every wife needs a husband to honor and to respect her. Building each other with sincere compliments is never a sign of weakness. It is the right thing to do. Anyone that can contemplate kneeling at an altar, participating in an eternal ordinance, or those that have, can certainly find lovely things to say about their partner. So often in those stressful circumstances where divorce has occurred, I will hear comments such as this from a divorced man or woman. John has been gone now for three years. How I wish he would come back. The loneliness is unbearable. I neglected to tell him or her so many things. Oh, if only I had let her or him know how good she or he was in so many ways. What a fool I was. I could never learn to compliment and to build. I was always pointing out her mistakes or his mistakes. I see how some husbands and wives treat each other. A young divorced lady said to me, so coldly and with such indifference I want to scream at them to wake them up before it's too late. I want to tell them to quit their sarcasm and instead to encourage each other. And remember this, dear friends, that that is part of the responsibility of dating, to handle that precious relationship as if it is fragile, because it is. 
we all tend to become the persons described in the compliments that our spouses and friends pay us. We will do almost anything to live up to the compliments and encouragements of a boyfriend or girlfriend or proud wife or husband. Let me tell you a story about a man that received his Ph.D. at this institution. We had known this person for a number of years. He married later than many. And as we watched him relate with a young woman, we wondered if she could keep up. We wondered if she had the capacity maybe to understand life as he had learned because he was more than several years older. And then as we observed that couple at social functions and elsewhere, we saw as he would take time to carefully instruct her. As he would return from classwork, he would bring home books for her to read and to study. And as they would take long walks, they were constantly teaching each other. Well, what a beautiful marriage and what a lovely family they have. Because they have taken the time to compliment and to build each other. They're serving now in the mission field together. There because of his sensitivity and because of her sensitivity. There because they had desires to build one another. Next, in dating or in marriage, never resort to the silent treatment. Always be open and straightforward with each other. Too often we may respond to tensions by clamming up or by taking a walk. A young wife from the southwest corner of Salt Lake County asked me to talk with her husband. All he does is clam up when we disagree. He won't communicate. He just walks out the door. Think of this maturity level. When he cools down, he comes home, but he is like ice until I make up with him. He can go on for days or even a week or two without saying a word. Well, I have learned that we are wrong even to say to our mate, just leave me alone. I'm going through a rough time. Let me work it out by myself. I just don't want to be around anybody right now. That not only is unfair and a genuine insult, but it is stupid. What is marriage if it is not sharing and helping one another through crises? We will hear all of the excuses. It's that time. I'm not feeling well. Things are tough at the office. I've had a tough day at class. I lost a big case. My nerves are bad. Things are tough over to the ward. But none of these excuses give the moral right to shut out someone who loves you. Keep the door to your heart open. The times when we shut others out often are the times when we need their help the most. Of course we need times of privacy and to think alone. Of course we need time to pray and to meditate. And we should understand and respect this need in others. However, we should never be inconsiderate or inappreciative of a concerned husband or wife who is trying to help at a time of trouble or discouragement. Next, resolve when necessary to say, Hey, honey, I'm sorry, and really mean it. 
Contrary to a popular saying, love in part means learning how to say, I'm sorry, sweetheart. So often when we make mistakes, sometimes innocently, damage has been done and an apology is in order. Along with learning how to say, I'm sorry, husbands and wives must learn to say, I forgive. Jesus taught that to be forgiven by our Heavenly Father depends in part and in great part on our ability to forgive those that have trespassed against us. Even when cheating has occurred, we must be willing under most circumstances to accept their true repentance. Some of the strongest marriages of which I am aware have been between partners who could say, I am sorry, and who forgive. In addition to saying they are sorry and really meaning it, husbands and wives must avoid bringing up the past. Thousands of marriages have survived the most critical problems and have been successful only because godly sorrow for sin was followed by Christ-like forgiveness. A woman was referred to my office for a blessing for the restoration of her health. She had been ill for seven years. She had had exploratory surgery three times, in the hospital a number of times, had switched doctors more often than annually, and I declined to give her a blessing when the Spirit said there was nothing wrong physically. And brothers and sisters, you can imagine what an awkward position I found myself in having to say no. She said, what do you mean? As we talked, she mentioned that several years earlier, during a very difficult time in her life, her husband had not given her the attention that she needed, and he was sitting next to her. She had not been pleased with his behavior and had carried with her a scarred heart. Emotions that had been disrupted and confused, and she was bitter. I said, when did this happen? She said, seven years ago. Now wait just a minute, Elder Pinnock. You don't mean to tell me that I've been sick for seven years because I can't forgive my husband, and there he sat. I said, I would be happy to give you a blessing for what is wrong. Well, she was there. The moment was awkward. She said, All right, go ahead. I placed my hands upon her head and gave her a blessing that she could love and forgive. At that time, not sure it was her husband, but it seemed to be. As we walked the few steps to my door, I pointed to the door and said, That door will always be open for you. And then a half and then sort of uncomfortably left. Well, about ten days later, the telephone rang. Is that offer still good to come and see you? I said, yes. She came in. You mean to tell me that the reason I've been sick for so many years is because I can't forgive my husband and the way he treated me seven or eight years ago? And I said, yes. I've thought a great deal about it since then. I believe that's your problem. Well, we talked for almost an hour. As she stood up to leave, I pointed the door again and said, The door is always open. The phone rang several weeks later. 
May I come and talk with you, Elder Pinnock? I said, certainly. She walked in a changed woman. She said, I haven't felt this good for years. Can't remember having ever felt as good as I feel now, and I love my husband so much. Well, think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Next, remember to never turn to a third party in time of marital trouble, except to your bishop or branch president. In sensitive and inspired ways, he will direct you to a competent counselor, if that is what is needed. Someone is always ready and eager to console a hurting wife or husband. And when marriage partners have no one to talk with at home, unfortunately, too many seek a friend elsewhere. And that, dear brothers and sisters, is where almost all adultery has its origin. It can happen in the neighborhood, in a ward choir, at the office, or anywhere else. Secret affairs begin innocently enough just by talking about mutual hurts. But then comes a dependency period that too often ends in transferring loyalty and affection, followed by adultery. Never, ever, never, ever confide your marriage troubles to a third party. No, not even to your closest friend. He or she may be the first to tell your troubles to another, becoming the one to hurt you most severely. Lean on the Savior and rely upon your bishop and your stake president. Remember that, because, because as the years quickly come and go, there will be stressful times when you will need to talk to someone. Remember who. This system which the Lord has given us is simple, but it works so well. Ninth, have clean, wholesome fun during your dating years and retain the same joy in marriage. God intends us to find joy in life. Man is that he might have joy. Most marriages begin with joy, and those that succeed retain it. Last Thanksgiving, we went up to Bear Lake. We had a little farm home there. My wife and I began a tickling contest. I am a world-class tickler. I am one of the great ticklers that's ever lived. Well, as we were laughing and giggling and rolling around on the floor, in came the children. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Soon they joined in, and we had a great time. A microscopic bit of sadness attended that experience last Thanksgiving because I thought to myself, why haven't I introduced that type of joy into our home even more? And hopefully our home has been more joy-filled since then. When a marriage loses its happiness, it becomes weak and vulnerable. Find a happy home, and you will find a joyful couple at the helm. Husband and wives who no longer laugh and play together are losing their love for each other and their capacity to stay together. True love includes a joyful, almost childlike quality. In other words, live it up righteously. Well, 
It's almost time to say good night. Let me read to you an article that appeared in Harper's Weekly in October. It is a gloomy moment in the history of our country, not in the lifetime of most men has there been so much grave and deep apprehension. Never has the future seemed so incalculable as at this time. The domestic situation is in chaos. Our dollar is weak throughout the world. Prices are so high as to be utterly impossible. The political cauldron sees and bubbles with uncertainty. Russia hangs as usual like a cloud dark and silent upon the horizon. It is a solemn moment. Of our troubles no man can see the end. Harper's October 1857. Well, so much of life does not change. But let me testify to you that area of life that will never change. And that's when we live the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I look to you marvelous missionaries, and boy, do we love you. I've just come back from touring two missions, and what a great time we had together. You are embarking upon a period where you will teach true principles to people that are struggling, that are confused, that don't have any idea what to do, and you will bring them the answer. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what an honor it is to serve the Master in ways that you soon will do. And so many here of our young men and women have already done. May I take just a moment to thank my lovely wife, Anne. No matter what problems I encounter in the world fighting dragons, she always responds with love and kindness and a patient listening ear. Your futures depend on the present. Live life well today. Life passes quickly. Let us not be guilty of hoping that someday we will become happy and contented after college or after this next semester or after the next test or after this date tonight <laughs> or after the bills are paid or after the kids are grown or when we retire. The good will always outweigh the bad. And let me say that again. The good will always outweigh the bad. There's far more lovely, fine, honest people in this world than those that are dishonest and injurious. May we learn at your age, and at ours if we haven't, to recognize the good and to bring joy into the lives of others. May the Lord's choicest blessings be with each of us that we may do all within our power to do those things that are proper and right in our social interaction with each other as we date, that we may have, when that special, sacred time comes, strong marriages and a life filled with joy. This I pray humbly in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. been listening to the Love and Marriage Podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. 
Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.